Well, we're uh, over the past few weeks, we've been uh, in our little, uh, well, fairly major influence series uh, here at Orangefield, and we've been uh, looking at the book of Acts. We've been journeying through the book of Acts uh, and journeying with the Israelite people uh, and, and seeing what we can learn from them uh, as we seek to be an influence uh, in every, for God in every relationship and every environment that he has placed us in. So, so far in the story, we've seen the Israelites being freed from slavery and captivity in Egypt. We've seen them uh, being protected from Pharaoh's pursuing army. We've seen them uh, go through the Red Sea as God parted it for to let them through on the dry ground. And, and so they're now on the, the right side of the, the Red Sea. And uh, Steve Kennedy led us in our thinking around that wonderful song of praise that they uh, praised God with uh, in, in the start of chapter 15. Uh, and so that's where we are on the story. They're on the, the right bank of the Red Sea. And we're going to pick up our reading as we uh, pick up our Bibles or uh, however you want to follow along uh, this morning. It's on page 73. It's on Exodus 15, uh, chapter, chapter 15, verses 22 into 16 uh, and verse 16. So that's page 73 of your, your church Bible. And we'll read that together. <clears throat> Exodus chapter 15, reading from 22. Then Moses led Israel from the Red Sea, and they went into the desert of Shur. For three days they traveled in the desert without finding water. Then, then they, when they came to Marah, they could not drink its water because it was bitter. That is why the place is called Marah. So the people grumbled against Moses, saying, What are we to drink? Then Moses cried out to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a piece of wood. He threw it into the water, and the water became fit to drink. Then the Lord issued a ruling and, and, and instruction for them and put them to the test. He said, if you listen carefully to the Lord your God and do what is right in his eyes, if you pay attention to his commands and keep all his decrees, I will not bring on you any of the diseases I brought on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord who heals you. Then they came to Elam, where there were twelve springs and seventy palm trees, and they camped there near the water. The whole Israelite community set out from Elam and came to the desert of Sin, which is between Elam and Sinai, on the fifteenth day of the second month after they had come out of Egypt. In the desert, the whole community grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The Israelites said to them, If only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. There we sat around pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted. But you have brought us out into the desert, this desert, to starve this entire assembly to death. Then the Lord said to Moses, I will rain down bread from heaven for you. The people are to go out each day and gather enough for that day. In this way I will test them and see whether they will follow my instructions. On the sixth day they are to prepare what they bring in, and that is to be twice as much as they gather on the other days. So Moses and Aaron said to all the Israelites, In the evening you will know that it was the Lord who brought you out of Egypt, and in the morning you will see the glory of the Lord, because he has heard your grumbling against him. Who are we that you should grumble against us? Moses also said, You will know that it was the Lord when he gives you meat to eat in the evening, and all the bread you want in the morning. Because he has heard your grumbling against him. Who are we? You are not grumbling against us. 
but against the Lord. Then Moses told Aaron, Say to the entire Israelite community, Come before the Lord, for he has heard your grumbling. While Aaron was speaking to the whole Israelite community, they looked toward the desert, and there was the glory of the Lord appearing in the cloud. The Lord said to Moses, I have heard the grumbling of the Israelites. Tell them at twilight you will eat meat, and in the morning you will be filled with bread. Then you will know that I am the Lord your God. That evening quail came and covered the camp, and in the morning there was a layer of dew around the camp. When the dew was gone, thin flakes like frost on the ground appeared on the desert floor. When the Israelites saw it, they said to each other, What is it? For they did not know what it was. Moses said to them, It is the bread the Lord has given you to eat. This is what the Lord has commanded. Everyone is to gather as much as they need. Take an omer for each person you have in your tent. Amen. Amen. Let's pray together as we come to think on God's word. Father, we thank you for your word. And we thank you for these verses to us. And we thank you that your word is living. And we ask that you would continue to move amongst us by your spirit. And that you would give us eyes to see you and ears to hear you and hearts to respond to you. Lord, would you speak for your servants are listening in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Well, the story's told about a young monk. And the young monk went off to join a monastery. And uh, the monastery had a vow, a code of silence. A vow of silence in the monastery. So the young monk took the vow of silence and he vowed to just speak two words every year. So the first year passed and the abbot called the young monk in and he asked him for his two words. And the young monk said, hard bed. And the abbot nodded and the young monk went off out of the room. Another whole year passed and the abbot called the monk in for his annual audience and his two words. And uh, this time the monk said, bad food. And uh, the abbot nodded and the monk left the room. A whole other year passed and the abbot invited the young monk in to, uh, for his two words. Uh, and this time the monk said, I quit. <laughs> and the abbot said, well, I'm not surprised about that for you've done nothing but complain since you arrived. Complaining, grumbling. That's what this passage that we've just read tells us something about, doesn't it? Complaining, grumbling, grumbled. We see those words used eight times. They're used eight times in this passage that we've come to this morning. The people grumbled, it says in Exodus 15 and 16, it says the people grumbled about what they would drink, they grumbled, grumbled about their leaders, they grumbled about what they would eat, they grumbled about leaving Egypt, they grumbled about God. Grumbling, you see, the Israelites had developed grumbling hearts. And I guess it's not just the Israelites or that monk who can develop grumbling hearts, sure it's not. No, sometimes I just look at the man in the mirror and I see it. I see it. We can easily find ourselves grumbling, can't we? With grumbling hearts. And, and, and you know, we're not looking at this subject this morning because Gareth or I think that you're a grumbling lot and you need a, a sermon on this. No, we're not. 
We're not, you know, there may, I don't know, there may be grumbling congregations out there. I don't know. But, <laughs> but thankfully, Orangefield is not one of them. Oh, you're very gracious, lad. So we're looking at this this morning because this is the subject. This is where we're at in our reading. This is where we're at in our journey. And this is what we find the Israelites doing in these verses. And I suppose, let's be honest. Let's be honest, we're not perfect either, sure we're not. A little grumble has probably slipped out of our lips at some stage or other. It's easy to do. It's really easy to do, isn't it? And I suppose so this morning gives us all a chance to to just pause and check our hearts. Check our hearts. And, and see what we can learn from the Israelites and from these verses that we've read together this morning. And, and I think we can see that grumbling actually can have quite a major impact on our lives. And I think it can actually impact our past, our present, and our future. Firstly, we see that grumbling is sometimes caused by selective memory. Selective memory, and it distorts our past distorts our past. That's the first thing to see, just how quickly we can get into grumbling. You see, God had set the people free from captivity and slavery and oppression and destruction and death in Egypt. He had protected them from Pharaoh's army. He had split the Red Sea so they could pass through. They've just sung this wonderful song of praise earlier in chapter 15. And now before you can say Jack Robinson, we find them grumbling against God. How quickly they go from glorifying to grumbling from glorifying to grumbling really quickly. And here we see that it's partly because of their selective memory. You see, most of the commentaries would reckon that the Israelites have journeyed out probably for about a month or so from Egypt by this stage in the story. And a few weeks, a few short weeks out from slavery, and the past is already beginning to look good. In verse 3 they say, In Egypt we sat around pots of meat and, and ate all the food we wanted. And it's like, yeah, those were the days. Oh, do you remember Egypt? Sitting around the campfire, strumming our guitars, eating all the meat we wanted. Ah, oh, those were the days. Well, they may have had meat to eat in Egypt, but they seem to have forgotten that they were singing a very different song. They were singing a very different song around those meat pots. Exodus 2 and verse 23, it tells us during that long period, the king of Egypt died. The Israelites groaned in their slavery and went up to God. God heard their groaning. That's what they were doing back in Egypt, actually. Groaning and crying out to God and they've forgotten what the past was really like. And, and grumbling often relies on selective memory. A distortion of the past. And we don't know whether to laugh or cry when we read this. And here they are after all the miracles they've seen, after the, the slavery and suffering and destruction and the thirst that God has already rescued them from. So soon they're saying it would be better if we were back there. And we're like, no, no, it wouldn't. What are you thinking? But you know, if we're honest, we can be a wee bit like that at times too, can't we? it's not that we don't have anything to learn from the past. We do, but sometimes we can remember it as a golden age, a golden age that never actually really existed at all. As one friend of mine says, nostalgia, it's not what it used to be. It's not what it used to be. But we tend to see things at times, sometimes through those rose-tinted glasses 
Ah, those were the good old days, we say. And one elderly friend of mine really gets quite annoyed when people talk about the good old days like that. And he'll say, no, those were not the good old days. The wartime was not the good old days. The days of the troubles were not the good old days. These are the good days. And you know, in the midst of all the uncertainty and, and challenges in our world, maybe he's onto something. Maybe he's onto something. The good old days weren't always so good, really, were they? And, and you see, if we're tempted to complain about things now, probably chances are we were tempted to complain about things back then, whenever then was. So instead of looking back through those rose-tinted glasses that we're tempted to, we could instead look back with honesty. Look back with honesty. With grateful hearts. And give thanks for those different times in our lives when God has been with us and brought us out of dark places and through dangerous times. Difficult situations. How he has fed us and watered us with so many different spiritual and material blessings and gifts. And let that inspire us for the future, knowing that he is a faithful God who is always with us. So grumbling is sometimes because of our selective memory and it distorts our our past. Secondly, grumbling is often caused by exaggerating the challenges of today. And it steals our present. We can exaggerate the challenges of today and it steals our present. In verse 3, you see the Israelites say, you have brought us out into this desert to starve this entire assembly to death. Now Moses has risked life and limb. He has led them by God's grace out of Pharaoh's grip through the Red Sea, away from the Egyptian army, to safely on the other side. And now they're saying, you've brought us here just to starve us to death. Yes, they were traveling through the wilderness. Yes, they, had, they faced a bit of a challenge. No, it isn't all barren skills. But they wildly exaggerate their difficulty. And it steals their present. You see, they exaggerate difficulty and it steals that wonderful joy of deliverance right out of their hearts. And it steals that wonderful song of praise right out of their mouths. They're grumbling when they could be grateful. They are resentful when they could be rejoicing. And I say they exaggerated their difficulty because bearing in mind the earlier chapters of Exodus, it doesn't seem to me like they really could be on the brink of starvation. See, if we go back a couple, it's a few chapters back in Exodus 12, after Pharaoh agreed to let the Israelites go, he said to them, go worship the Lord as you have requested. Take your flocks and herds as you have said and go. And then it goes on. Many other people went up with them and also large droves of livestock both flocks and herds. That the Israelites had with them droves of livestock, both flocks and herds. That's both sheep and cattle. Now, were they really on the brink of starvation? So we're probably not talking about real needs here. Not so much as perhaps simply wants or just exaggeration. You see, I remember as a child that you know, after I hadn't eaten anything for half an hour or so, I'd say to my mom, Mom, I'm starving. I'm starving. And I'd rightly get a lecture on what starving really was, along with a few illustrations of, you know, that usually came from Africa where some people were, actually. I was exaggerating, of course, I was exaggerating. And then my dad would back my mom up by saying, Gary, I've told you a million times not to exaggerate. Hmm. 
I was exaggerating. Of course I was. But, you know, I don't want to make light of some of the difficulties some people are facing today. I don't. I know that some people really are facing some real difficult challenges and circumstances. But it might also just be worth asking ourselves this morning, mightn't it? Am I exaggerating the challenge facing me? Am I blowing things out of proportion? Am I making a mountain out of a molehill? Am I really starving? We'll want to be careful not to exaggerate in our current challenges. We may be facing difficult circumstances, but we will also need to get a bit of perspective. A bit of perspective and a bit of trust in the God who has brought us this far. And who promises to never leave us or forsake us. You see, the Israelites had stopped trusting God's man, and they'd stopped trusting God. And they'd stopped trusting in his promise to take them to the promised land. But did they really think that God had brought them all this way out of Egypt, protected from their enemies, through the Red Sea, to now let them just cruelly die somewhere in the back end of the middle of nowhere? Was God playing some sort of cruel trick on them? Had he ever done that before? No, no, no. And think of how gracious and patient God is. Later in the book of Exodus, God reveals another aspect of his name, saying that he is slow to anger. And we see it here, we see it here. He's slow to anger and that he's already shown them and done for them after all that he's already shown them and done for them. With the plagues and the Red Sea and the battle still, they don't fully trust him. But what does God do? God meets grumble with grace. God meets grumble with grace. God says, you're thirsty, okay, I'm going to give you something to drink. I'm going to give you water. God says, you're hungry, okay, I'm going to feed you. I'm going to give you quail for dinner tonight. Have you ever heard of fine dining? Quail for dinner tonight. From God. How about more of these little beauties and you know what to do with? They're going to cover the ground just like the plagues covered the ground in Egypt. It's the same sort of language. God basically says, you'll have meat for dinner tonight and then you'll have bread in the morning for breakfast. Just like locusts or hail rain down on the Egyptians in judgment. So manna from heaven is going to rain down from God, from heaven, on the Israelites in mercy. In mercy. And it tells us in verse 31 that it's sweet bread. It tastes like honey. So it's basically donuts for breakfast for 40 years. I'm tempted to say, oh, I wish we could be back then. (laughs) Just kidding. But it would take trust. It would take trust on the part of the people. They would have to put trust in the Lord, the one who they were only allowed to collect in for one day. What would feed them for one day? No hoarding. And that takes trust. Especially for an agricultural people. Farmers in an agrarian society, they're thinking, we've got to store up. We've got to store up. We don't know what another day will bring. We don't know when the weather will change. We've got to store up. We can't just live day to day. That's what they're thinking. But they can't do that here. No, not here. Because the Lord is testing and shaping them. And developing their faith and their trust. And they need to trust. And you know, it might be easy for us to live day to day with regards to food. When we know that all we have to do is dander over the littles or drive around to Tesco's. It's easier for us today. But they needed to trust with not not a supermarket in sight. 
They have to trust that it will be manna from heaven tomorrow morning when they get up again. You see, the problem maybe with the grumblers is that they don't really trust that God is big enough to help or loving enough to care. And maybe sometimes that's what we're thinking as well. This God, we say we believe in him, we sing songs about him, but do we really believe that he's big enough, big enough to help and loving enough to care? The Israelites had the trust in the Lord and the Lord did indeed provide and we see it here in the story and we see it right throughout this book. The Lord provides. But likewise for us too, we need to trust. We need to trust and the Lord will provide. He has sought us by his grace. He has saved us by his grace and he will sustain us by his grace. Until he brings us to all the way to our promised land as we trust in him. So grumbling distorts our past, it steals our present. And thirdly and lastly and more briefly this morning, grumbling dims our vision and limits our future. You see, while the Israelites are grumbling, while they're selectively remembering the past, while they're exaggerating their current difficulties, when they're selfishly focusing on themselves, when they're doing this, they can see only starvation and death. Their vision is dimmed. And with a dimmed vision, it limits our future. They can't see the wonderful future that God has in store for them. And they're grumbling. They've actually resigned themselves to starvation and death. And that's not much of a vision. Sure it's not. And it's not much of a future. But it's what they've limited themselves to. And they're grumbling and they're complaining. And then in verse 9, Moses and Aaron say to the people, Come before the Lord. Come before the Lord, for he has heard your grumbling. While Aaron was speaking to the whole Israelite community, they looked toward the desert, and there was the glory of the Lord appearing in the cloud. There was the glory of the Lord. Now the glory of the Lord. That's a better vision, isn't it? You see, when they stopped their complaining, when they took their eyes off themselves, when they stopped looking in and started looking out, they had a much clearer vision, a much brighter picture, the glory of the Lord. The glory of the Lord up ahead, a brighter vision, a better future. And that's the way it can be for us as well sometimes, isn't it? You see, when we look inwards, when we focus on ourselves, when we look inwards, it's not always a pretty picture. But when we look out, when we look up, when we take our eyes off ourselves and fix them on the God of glory who is is our God, who is with us, who is ahead of us, then we too will see a much brighter vision and a much better future. The future God has in store for us as we focus on him. And so, just like the Israelites is natural fallen human beings, we can easily allow our selective memory to distort our past. We can exaggerate our difficulties and let our grumbling steal our present. And we can lose our vision of the wonderful blessings that God has in store for us for the future. So then, just as I finish, what is the antidote? What is the medication to grumbling for grumbling? Well, it's a thankful heart, isn't it? It's a thankful heart. It's an attitude of gratitude. An attitude of gratitude. That's what it is. You see, it's almost, impo- it's almost impossible to grumble from a thankful heart. 
It's almost impossible to grumble from a thankful heart. But how do we how do we have a thankful heart? How do we have that attitude of gratitude? Well, we count our blessings. We count our blessings. We count our blessings. And we're going to do that in a moment. We're going to do that in a moment as we ask the Lord to help us to continue to shape that thankful heart, that attitude of gratitude in us as we come before him in a prayer in a moment. And maybe this is a little exercise that we can might each find helpful to use in our own daily quiet times, an exercise of looking back, of looking up and looking forward. So let's do that just now, shall we? Shall we pray? Let's pray together for a moment. And so in the light of God's presence and in the light of his word, we take a moment to look back, to look back in honesty and to remember where God has brought us from, how he has set us free from sin and death and been with us and provided for us through all the ups and downs of life this far. And we take a moment to look up in gratitude, to look up in gratitude, to see and to count all the many different material and spiritual blessings that our loving Heavenly Father daily showers upon us in the present. And finally, we look forward in faith, forward in faith, to see up ahead of us the glory of the Lord, the glory of the Lord as he leads us ever onward to our promised land to that wonderful future with him in the fullness of all his glory and grace forever. Father, as we count our blessings, past, present, and future, our hearts are filled with thankfulness. For we have so many reasons to praise you. So please make us channels of your blessing flowing out through us into every relationship we have and into every environment we are in, in the days ahead. We pray all these things for your glory, in the power of the Spirit, and in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Amen.